This is lesson through two, lesson 24, Millennium Tribulation. And so when you, I think one of the exciting events or aspects of studying end times is being able to put the things together. Some people, there's views. Some people say, oh, you can't know it. I mean, just, in fact, it's, it's not even real and accurate, and so you don't need to spend time looking at that, and, and you couldn't put it together anyway. And then other people say, no, no, you can know it. You can put it together. You can see how the Bible fits together. So we're going to look at that. I've just brought, just for fun tonight, three books. Just if you're interested in saying doing a more detailed information about end time events, first of all, Mark Hitchcock has a book called The End. Does a pretty good job, and he talks about the prophecies at the end of the day. Then a guy named Ron Rhodes, who's a Dallas Seminary grad, he has a book. This is called The End Times in Chronological Order. It's pretty interesting. It's it's not a, a heavy read, but he does really a good job. He's written probably like 50 books, and he does things like this. He takes things and puts them together like that. And then the last one is one goes all the way back to John Walford, who was the president of Dallas Seminary when I was there. He's passed away, of course, and his, his is just called End Times, and he puts together the end time events. So that's just three books. There's also a, a bibliography at the end of the, of the lessons that kind of give you an idea of, of some other books you could look at. There's a lot of books out now. As we're thinking about our country and our world, there are a lot of people right now with the, the way the world is changing so rapidly, saying things like, gosh, we've we got to be closer than we've ever been, must be the end times. And so we want to talk about it, and, and I've got it up front here. We, we want to turn to the exciting aspect, and uh, that's the end time events. Many people are interested in the last days, but why, why, should, why do we need to understand it? Why do we need to look at the end times? Because some people say, can't know them, and it doesn't matter anyway. And then other people say, well, you ought to know it. It's revelation from God, and you should understand it. So why do we need to understand it? Well, first of all, it's for comfort. When we, when you read the scripture and you understand how the end times fit together and how we're involved, I mean, I've had people come to me and say, I don't know what it will do if that tribulation comes and we're in it. I said, well, if you're actually a believer in Christ and you're part of the church, you're not going to be in the tribulation. If you understand how the end times fit together, it'll bring great comfort to you. And that, that's really a, a great thing because, I mean, the bottom line is we win, right? I mean, you know, when you really think about it, when you go to the end of the Bible and you see what's going to happen at the end, it's, it's pretty amazing. The second, and so when we understand how things fit together, we can have comfort. But the other is so that we can teach others. It's very important that all of us, one of the reasons that I hope that you're taking the 2-2 is not just to say I want to get a bunch of information. It's so that you can have information that you can teach others. And end time events is very interesting and people, a lot of people want to talk about it. A lot of people have questions about it. And so I think it's really important that you would have an understanding. And what we're going to do in this class, I've got some goals we'll go over in just a minute. But the big idea is that you see how it fits together. You may not remember every aspect, but you want to be able to put the things together. So I've got the idea. Let's, the, the first thing is, what is end-time events? It's called eschatology, okay? Eschatology means the study of end-time events. In fact, the word eschatology comes from two Greek words, eschaton, which means last, and logos, which means word. So it's the last words. And you could say it's the words about the last things, or it's the last words, but eschatology is a study of the end time events or study of the last things. And and when you think about the Bible, it's so powerful because a lot of the Bible, when it was written, in fact, when you think about all the things in the Old Testament and all the prophecies that were looking forward, and you think about all the things Jesus taught, and you think about the things that Paul wrote about, a bunch of the Bible, almost every book in the Bible, deals with end time events. So in this study, we're going to 
We're going to look at a number of things. And let me, let me give you some words. Tribulation, rapture, kingdom, millennium, premillennial, postmillennial, dispensation, lake of fire, son of man, the beast, antichrist. All of those are terms that are found, some of them in the Bible, some of them are just theological terms. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. So let me give you, as we think about some goals for the study, here's the first one I want you to understand terms about end times. Now, I don't have I don't have a book, but if you would look over to turn after this is lesson what? 24. Look at the end of lesson 25 and it has handouts and I'm going to stand right here while you get there. If you notice the very first handout, it, it, I want you to take the time to flip over there in just a second. So I won't wait till everybody gets it. Just go to just learn, know the terms. Okay. It should be right at the end of lesson 25. The first page is the def- is definitions of eschatological terms. They're things like first coming, rapture, tribulation, pre-trib, on down par- you know, partial rapture, amillennial, second coming. So those are terms I want you to know, okay? Then the next thing, and th- that's one of the things we're going to get, the next thing is different teachings about the kingdom. And there's going to be a couple of handouts. One, the next handout is I think let's flip over to the page after that. It does it say evangelical postmillennial view, amillennial view? That's that's a that's a couple of ones over. That's going to be different ideas of the millennial. Then after that, we're going to also look at the idea, different teachings about the tribulation, and that's where the handout that says pre-tribulation, post-tribulation. It's back this other way. Right there, it's not. It's not in the same order, uh, but you'll see those kind of things. We're going to talk about that, and and then the last thing is just the idea of specific end time events and place them on a timeline so that you'd be able to say, okay, here's the flow of end time events, and you'd be able to do that. So in these two lessons, there's kind of a lot. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to know everything, but I want you to have a good idea of what those terms are, what the different views of the millennium are, what the different views of the tribulation are, and how how you can put the whole thing together. So there's a lot of different things. So that's the goals for the study. You might take a second to write the four the four goals down. So understand in times the terms. If I were to say a premillennial view, I would want you to be able to say, oh, I know what that means. Or if I would say a pre-tribulational view, that you would know what that means. Or if I said millennium, or if I said tribulation, or if I said kingdom, you would have an idea of what all these things are. They're found in the Bible, but they're also theological terms that people use, and it would be important for all of us to know those. So has everybody got the four four goals down? Most everybody got them? Okay, let's do this. As As we think about it, why are there different views? Have you ever thought about it? There are people out there that will say... Um, there's going to be a time Jesus is going to come in the clouds and we're going to be taken out and there'll be a tribulation and then there'll be a kingdom and then Jesus is going to come. And the other people will say, oh, no, no, there's no such thing as that. I mean, there's not going to be a kingdom. Uh, when Jesus comes the next time, that's the end of everything. It'll be, it'll be a great white throne judgment and then either people will be go to hell or go to heaven. And you say, what, you, you don't believe in a rapture or a tribulation? No, of course not. And we'd say, well, wait a minute. So you mean there are different views? Yeah, there's a lot of different views. I mean, if you talk about what we believe, I would say, oh, listen, you, we believe that the next event is the what? The rapture. And then following that's the tribulation. And following that's the second coming. And following that's the what? The kingdom. We, we say that. But you know, a whole bunch of people don't believe that at all. 
And so here's the real question is, why are there different views of all these end time events? Well, we've got two key factors that determine people's end time events. And the first one is the method of interpretation of the Bible, how they interpret the Bible, okay? And we're going to talk about it. So there are people who interpret the Bible in all kinds of different ways, and we know that. And uh, we interpret the Bible in a particular way, and we'll talk more about it in just a minute. So the first key factor is, how do they, what's the method of interpretation? The second factor is this, the view of the relationship between Israel and the church. So let me say it this way before we get any further. How you interpret the Bible and how you view the relationship between Israel and the church is going to determine how you look at end-time events and how you put together the end-time events of the Bible. Does that make sense? Okay, let's start and, and start by just in the idea of... Uh, because some people, when they view the relationship between Israel and the church, Israel and the church is the same. And some people say, no, Israel and the church is different. What do we say? Israel and the church the same or Israel and the church different? Different. We're not the same as the as Israel. So we'll talk about that. So let's talk about interpretation. And when you start talking about interpretation, there are three big ways that people interpret the Bible, okay? The first one is what we call allegorical. Not many people use this as much. It started in the third century. It means there's hidden meanings behind the Scripture. Very few hold of the view nowadays. Some, some still do. Most don't. That would be like this. They would take a passage like Jesus gets in the boat, goes across the Sea of Galilee and gets to the other side. Allegorical interpretation means that that event may or may not have happened, but Jesus getting into the boat is symbolic of him coming to the world. Going across the Sea of Galilee is him living his life. Having a storm across the Sea of Galilee is the conflict, conflict in his life. Getting to the other side is him completing his ministry. Okay, they just, they just say, and that's what that means. Allegorical is there's something hidden behind the Scripture. Very few people hold to that nowadays. Some did. It goes all the way back to the 3rd century, a guy by the name of Origen. He is the one that started saying, okay, here's a passage, but there's a hidden meaning behind the passage. Okay? The second... The second view is called spiritualization. And spiritualization basically says that, especially prophecy passages, uh, that, that, that they don't always mean what they say. If, if they looked at a passage like Jesus getting in a boat and going across the Sea of Galilee, most of them would say that means he got in the boat and went across the Sea of Galilee. But when it says Jesus is going to come in the clouds and take people out, they would say that, that's not real. That's not real. When it says that Jesus will rule for a thousand years, they say, that's not real. They spiritualize those passages. Most, they spiritualize most prophetic passages. In fact, a lot of them say that the whole idea of the tribulation, which is found throughout the book of Revelation, they said that was just, that was just talking about the first century when the church was persecuted. So they spiritualize the passage. That's another view. The third uh, view is what we call the literal interpretation. We, we call it historical, literal, grammatical interpretation. That's what we call it. And it means that the words mean what they mean. It means that if it says Jesus is going to come in the clouds, what do we think? Jesus is going to come in the clouds. When it says he's going to rule for a thousand years, what do we think? He's going to rule for a thousand years. If it said he got in the boat, what do we think he did? He got in the boat. If it says he fed 5,000 men, not count women and children, what do we think he did? He fed 5,000 men. And, you know, I, listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you about this view right here. There, I, I read something, it's been about a year ago, and it was a person who said 
uh, it doesn't really matter whether Jesus rose again. In fact, they said he probably didn't. But if you just think that he did, and if you just want to believe that, uh, just thinking that has some significance for you, that's all that matters. And see, there are people who hold those views. So the three big ways to interpret the Bible is allegorical, not many hold to that. Spiritualization, many people hold to that view, especially when you're dealing with prophetic passages. And then the third view is the literal view, historical, literal, grammatical interpretation. Okay, so y'all got that. So how, how they view it. Now, if you, if you, if you hold to this, you're going to look at the end times totally different than people who hold to this. Okay? Then the second way, you remember the second one, is the relationship between Israel uh, Israel and the church. And so what, what we see here is that the promises, you've you got to say this, some people say the promises made to the nation of Israel are fulfilled by the church. And so here, here's this. God said to Israel, you're going to have a king and he's going to rule. These people would say that the king is Jesus and he's in heaven and this is how he rules and there really is no kingdom on the earth. And because this was Israel's promise, but the church has taken their place. And so everything promised to Israel has been taken over by the church. And so that's, that's actually called replacement theology. And so the promises to Israel are fulfilled to the church or by the church. There's not Israel anymore. In fact, many of these people would say there is no nation of Israel anymore. God has rejected them. He's through with them. The church has taken their place. God has cast them aside. And all the promises are spiritual, not literal. So when King David was promised his son would sit on the throne of Israel, they would say that's spiritual, not real. Okay, so that's a view that, that some people hold that the promise to Israel are fulfilled by the church. Do we, there's another view, and this is our view, that the promises to Israel are fulfilled to, to Israel and that every promise that was made to them, that the promise that Israel would have a king who would rule on the earth, one of these days the church is different from Israel and one of these days the king is going to come and sit on the throne in Jerusalem. So we hold to that. We hold to that view. And that's why when you look at those two key things, if you <clears throat> believe that you interpret the Bible in a spiritual way and that Israel has, has, re, has been replaced by the church, you're going to look at end-time events totally different than other people. And so it's very vital that we understand how that fits together. And now what you may not grasp is, this is going to sound bad, but probably 80% of Christians in the United States hold to a spiritualization. Let me say this. 80% of the Christians in the world, not just the United States, hold to a spiritualization view of the Scripture and that the church has replaced Israel. That's almost everybody. You might say, and I don't mean this bad, but we're a minority, in fact, a small minority, who hold to a little interpretation and make a distinction between Israel and the church. Most do not. And so that's why it, it's really, when you start talking about end-time events, when you start talking about how you look at the Bible, when you start talking about the salvation message, all of those things are different. So let's do this. There is a handout. If you want to, just kind of hold your place there and flip over to the handout. It's close to the very end of the handouts, and it's called the premillennial. Let's see if it's going to be over here. I can't turn the pages, but it's going to be... Where's your, you don't, I don't, I don't see yours. 
and maybe these stuck together. Here it is. There's a thing that says premillennial pre-tribulation scheme of history. Do y'all see that? Okay. Kind of holds your other place as well because you could go back and forth if you want to write some things. I'm going to write on the board a lot tonight, so I hope you can see it. I'll write big, <laughs> which for me is going to be hard. But anyway, I will write big. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to get the big grasp, okay? If you notice on your handout, it says a general overview of the end time events. And so we're going to look at, so God has not cast it aside. We're going to get the big general overview. So I'm going to draw something up for you, okay? So watch this. Old Testament looking forward to Jesus dying on the cross. There it is. Followed by the church. Followed by the rapture. Followed by a seven-year time period called the tribulation. Followed by the second coming. This is the first coming. Second coming of Jesus. Set up a kingdom that goes for a thousand years. Then there is the great white throne judgment. And then the eternal state. That is the general flow of that handout that you have. It's more detailed. The handout is more detailed than this. What I want you to see, first of all, is the general flow. The first coming, the rapture, the second coming, the tribulation, the church, the kingdom, the eternal state. I want you to have that flow. So here's what I've got for you. The general overview, it all starts with the first coming of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that the Old Testament over and over and over talked about his first coming. What's he going to do in the first coming? He, what? Die. He's going to die. Exactly right. And then there's a second coming. What's he going to do when he comes the second coming? He's going to reign. He's the king. First coming, he came to die. Die and rise again. That's right there. The second coming, he's going to come as the king of kings and the lord of lords. The Old Testament talks about this all over the place, by the way. The Old Testament never mentions a rapture. It never mentions church. It never mentions the taking out of the church. You've got to understand that. That's why when people try to figure out things in the Old Testament, say, we're going to find the church. Church is not in the Old Testament. Remember what Paul said? Church is a what? It's a mystery. Okay, so you've got it. So here's the first thing. The first coming of Jesus Christ. Whoops. What did I do? What did I do? Oh, no. Oh. I don't know what I did. First coming to Christ. He was born as a human, born as a virgin. All of the prophecies that we could think of, we've seen them. He came to die for the sins of mankind. Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, that he might redeem us. Jesus Christ came to die to pay on the cross to pay for our sin. Now, most everybody will say that. Even people who don't believe uh, in time events the way we do, they'll say, well, yeah, Jesus came the first time to die on the cross and pay for sin. He established the church. He said, I will build my church. And so after Jesus died and rose again and ascended back to heaven, if you remember, he walked on the earth for how long? After his death and resurrection. Forty days. Then he ascended into heaven. Then ten days later, the Holy Spirit came down and started what we call the church. The church is the body of Christ. We become a member by faith in Christ. Anybody that believes in Jesus Christ for eternal life becomes a member of the body of Christ. We've already talked about that. We saw the lessons on the church. It's both Jew and Gentile in one body. This is what's so unique. In the Old Testament, there were Gentiles, and there were what? Jews. 
And Gentile could connect with the God of Israel, but they weren't the same. In the church, God takes Jews and Gentiles and brings them together in one body, which is the church, which is the body of Christ. Remember that the church, Jews and Gentiles, is separate from Israel and totally different. In fact, next week, we're going to show you why the tribulation is seven years. Why does it last seven years? We'll talk about that next time. So we're seeing the church, and then the church ends at the rapture. It could happen at any second. Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds, and we're going to talk more about it tonight, and the church will be taken off the face of the earth. And um, the First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18 give us the details on the rapture, and we're going to see that verse later on tonight as well. So we got a lot to cover tonight. That's why I'm going a little bit fast. I think you get it, though. You see the flow. Then, there is the rapture. Jesus comes in the clouds. This is what's unique. The Bible talks about Jesus coming to the earth. He was born. He came to the earth, born as a baby. He comes riding on a white horse and comes to the earth and sets up a kingdom. But the rapture is totally different. The rapture says, The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive remain to be caught up together to meet the Lord. Where? In the air. This is what's unique. And so that's the rapture. And Jesus comes. The church is gathered up to him. We will be with him forever. So everybody's seeing the flow, right? This is what we're trying to get, getting the flow. No one knows when. Let me ask you something. How many of you think it's closer than it's ever been? Well, it's got to be because it's getting closer every day, right? No matter what's happening. But have, have we seen our world? Is it becoming, a, uh, trying to be a one-world type government? Is our Christians being shut down all over the world? Is it a, It's a mess. It's a mess. So we'll see all that. Now, it, it could happen at any second. All right, and then, following that, now let me show you something, and the way we draw this up is not exactly accurate. Let me tell you what I mean. After the church is gone, the tribulation does not begin the moment the church is gone. The tribulation begins when a peace pact is signed between the man of sin called the Antichrist or the beast, when he signs a peace pact with Israel, and it's for seven years. We draw it up this way, but after the church leaves, it could be months. It could be a year or more. It could be, who knows, until there's, first of all, a ten-king federation, then a three-king federation, and then one king, which is the Antichrist. And there's that seven-year time period. We'll talk more probably next week and more details on why seven years, uh, you know, seven-year tribulation. It is a time of great suffering on the earth. It's divided into two parts. The first, first three and a half years is called the tribulation. Second three and a half years is called the great tribulation. And what we'll do is it, it, probably next week, I'm going to give you a lot more details on what happens just so you can have an understanding. And, there, and let me just say this, that there are all kind of views about... This rapture part, some people say that it's a pre-tribulation rapture. We're gone before the tribulation. Some people say, no, no, no. The church goes all the way through the tribulation. It is called a post-tribulation view. And then there's some people who say, well, church kind of leaves halfway through. And that's a, so that we're going to see why are there's those different views, okay? And we'll see how that fits together. Then after the church is taken off the face of the earth, it's seven year. There's a peace pact made with Israel and the 
Antichrist. And halfway through, the peace pact is broken by the Antichrist. He claims to be God. He desecrates the temple. He puts the mark of the beast. This is what we talked about. We're not going into details. And you don't have to write down every word that we're doing tonight. Uh, most of this, a lot of this is on those handouts. I want you to see the big view, the big idea of how things fit together. Is everybody kind of up to date? Are we ready to go to the next slide? Or are you still writing some things? It just put, you know, peace pact, claims to be God, puts his idol up in the temple, all those kind of things. Okay, most everybody ready to move to the next one, or are you still going? Just let me know. Still going? Okay. And... If you have a question while we're doing this, just because this is a class, I mean, you you stop me anytime, and we'll talk about whatever's going on to make sure we got it, okay? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. This tribulation. Then after the tribulation, there's the what? The kingdom. It is the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. First coming to die, second coming to reign. He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he sets up a kingdom, and the kingdom lasts for a thousand years. Now, we hold to a little interpretation of the Bible. So in the Revelation chapter 20, it says six times that it's a thousand years. So what do you think we think it means? A thousand years. I mean, that's what it boils down to. And, and so we're going to talk about what... Let me show you something. This is a kingdom. And some people hold to a pre-millennial kingdom, means Jesus comes before the kingdom. You're not going to believe this. Some people hold to a post-millennial kingdom, meaning he's going to come after the kingdom. And then some even say there's not a kingdom, and however how all that fits. So we'll talk all about that when we go through it. This ends with what's known as the Great White Throne Judgment, and the Great White Throne Judgment, uh, we... we primarily think it'll be unbelievers who stand before Jesus at the great white throne judges, judgment. It says unbelievers are raised up and cast in the lake of fire. If their names are not found written in the book of life, we'll go more detail later on. Or if you've got questions about that, we'll do that. So that's, I think, I think that's, let me see if I see it. Yeah, that's it. So let me go back. Well, no, there's one more, and that's the eternal state. And after the great white throne judgment, you move into the eternal state. That's Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Let me go back to it. It's called the new heavens. It's really new heavens and new earth. And that's kind of the eternal state. You will, we will live forever on a new heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth, in a new city called the New Jerusalem. It's gigantic. We'll talk more about it. But that's where we're going to be for all eternity. And a lot of people say, I wonder what heaven's going to be like. Well, you just go to the book of Revelation. You can see exactly what the eternal state's going to be like. It's a gigantic city. It's 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. That's how big the city is. Yeah. Nation of Israel is anyone who is a descendant of Abraham through Isaac through Jacob. And there are a lot of Jewish people. Some are scattered. Uh, within the last 30 years, more Jews have moved back to the land of Israel than ever before since the deep, since you know since the uh, 70 A.D. when they were scattered all over the world. 1948, they became a nation, and then they started coming back, and they're back now all over the place. So anyone who is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob actually is a true is a Jewish person. 
Uh, some people could be Jewish by their religion, but there's also a Jewish race of people, which is the Jewish people, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're all over the world today. There's some Jewish people who believe in Jesus Christ. They're part of the church. There's some Jewish people who have rejected, still rejecting, and uh, many of them uh, have moved back to Israel. I think that fulfills the Ezekiel passage called the Dry Bones Passage. Any of y'all ever heard that? There's a passage where uh, Ezekiel's told, look in this valley, and this valley is all these bones, and they all come back together and stand up and then later they get they get skin on them and then they get the spirit in them and it's symbolic of the nation of Israel coming back as a people group but they don't have the spirit because they're not believing yet but one of these days the nation of Israel is going to believe in the Messiah in fact at the very end of this tribulation time period the nation of Israel as a people are going to believe in Jesus as coming Messiah. They will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, and Jesus Christ is going to come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Does that help? And so the follow-on is, how many of us in this room could be? Uh, A lot of people, well, how many could be Jewish is what you're asking? Oh, I don't know. I I think it would be an honor to be Jewish, but I don't know if, you know, most of us are probably Gentiles. Uh, a lot, it's hard to know Jews, Jewish people today because they've lost their tribes. But after, after the destruction of the temple, they lost almost everything. And so to know what tribe they're from, they don't know unless their names are like Levi or Cohen. And they most of all figure they may be from the tribe of Levi, some things like that. There are people who are Jewish who know they're Jewish. They may not know their tribe, but they know they're Jewish. Well, a lot of them, you know, just throughout history know who they are. And, I mean, you just, even even in the Holocaust, I mean, people know who, who the Jews were and who, who weren't Jewish. You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah. Anybody got any more questions? We'll just, you just bring them up. So, let, let's think about this. When we think of God's plan to send the Messiah, the Bible tells the two comings. The first one is to die. He was born in Bethlehem came to the earth to die, lived that perfect life and died for us. And then the second coming is to come as the reign as the king. And those two things tie together and they're all the way through the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, first coming and second coming. In the New Testament, there is the rapture that is found. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Now, with that in mind, if you go to the top of this next page, I think if, you, I don't know if your books fit mine or not, but the page that says the millennium, is that, are y'all there? Are y'all seeing that? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about the different views of the millennium. There's a thing called post-millennial, amillennial, and premillennial, okay? And that's three views of the kingdom. We're going to start right here first. This is what we're going to talk about first, the views of the kingdom. Now, has everybody got this? You got the handout. You've got it. Now, I'm going to erase it because I'm going to show you the different views on what people think. We already know what's right. (laughs) <laughs> because we see the scripture in a historical, literal, grammatical interpretation, and we see it, so we know it. But let's see how other people look at the scriptures and the end-time events. So the first view I want to talk to you about is called the post-millennial view. Now, there is a handout. Now, you don't have to turn there right now. There's a handout that gives the three views uh, of the millennium. Post-millennium, amillennial, and premillennial. Okay, so the first view is the post-millennial view, and here's what here's how it looks. I'm going to draw it up for you. They believe Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for sin, and now we're in the church age. The church age is the same as Israel. 
So Israel and church are the same. We, the church, leads the world to Christ, and the world becomes Christian, and it goes for, maybe, some say it goes for a thousand years, some say it's un, it just doesn't matter, and then Jesus comes back, and that's the end. He comes back after, this is a kingdom, and then Jesus comes back. It's called post-millennial. Let me just put it up. There's no tribulation, of course. The things will get better and better. They say the world gets better and better and better. And the church will reign maybe for a thousand years under... And they hold to what they call the Old Testament law. They say that the law of Moses is going to be the law of the world. And that's how people will live. And they'll Christianize the world. And the government is ultimately based on the Bible. Now let me ask you a question. Do you see that happening? No. After World War One, a lot of people adopted this view because the world started getting better. I mean, there was there was great things happening, and then World War Two came along, and many people dropped this view. There was a view that the world was going to get better and better and better as more and more people became Christians. It's called the post-millennial view. Not very many people hold to it today. Pat Robertson, you remember when he ran for president? Does anybody remember when he ran? Did you know he was a post-millennialist? And when he ran for president, he realized nobody believed that, so he switched over to be a pre-millennialist while he ran for president. I just want you all to know that. And, and so some people, uh, they don't talk about it very much, but there are more people today that are beginning to say, we're going to Christianize the world, and then Jesus is going to come back. That's called a post-millennial view. Now, do you see any problem with that? Where's the rapture? Where's the, where's the tribulation? Where's the second coming? Where's the kingdom? There isn't anything. Okay? Israel and the church are one people of God. Then, and here's the problems with the view. How do you have a kingdom without a king? Right? How do you have a kingdom without a king? And do you think things are getting better in our world, or are they getting worse? They're getting worse. What does the Bible say about the end times? It says in the end times, things will get what? Worse and worse. So this view actually contradicts the Bible, okay? That's why, I mean, not a whole lot of people hold to the view. Okay, now, let me erase this, and we're going to see a next view. And this is called the amillennial view. Amillennial view means no actual kingdom it's a spiritual thing now the word millennial means a thousand and ah in front of it in the greek makes it none so no thousand no millennial no kingdom here's their view jesus comes dies on the cross pays for sin church age begins the church is israel they're the same thing and there is no real kingdom it's a spiritual kingdom remember things are spiritual they're not actual and this is the kingdom, and this is the kingdom now. We're in the kingdom now. And uh, it's got, there's some bad things and good things. The next event is Jesus comes back. When he comes back, there's the great white throne judgment, and it's then the eternity. 
This is called the amillennial view, which means no millennium. That means the church and Israel are the same. The kingdom, if there is a kingdom, and if they say, they say there isn't actually one, but if there is one, it's spiritual. It's not a physical kingdom, and it's going on right now. This is the amillennial view, okay? There's no tribulation. There's no rapture. That Jesus returns, judges, and then the eternal state. So, if you're an amillennial person, and let me just say this, about 80% of the Christians in the world are amillennial, about 80%, which means most Christians say we're in the kingdom now, and it's not really a kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom, and one of these days we're looking for Jesus to come back, and that's the end of everything. There is no rapture, there is no tribulation, there is no literal kingdom, none of those things. That's called the amillennial view. And... Um, they say Jesus is ruling now from heaven. They get verses like when Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come upon you, and that was while Jesus was there. And so they say, yeah, the kingdom's on us right now. No, it was kingdom was on them then because Jesus said, I'm the king and I'm here. And then he left. So just giving you an idea of how people look at this. Here's the problem. Uh, Israel, they claim Israel and the church are one. Here's the problem with the view. And the view is this, in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7, it says, Christ will come and rule for how long? A thousand years. It states it seven different times. So if you say Jesus is going to come for a thousand years, they say, no, he won't. Which one do you believe? What Jesus said? What the book of Revelation says? Or do you believe what somebody else said? And so this view doesn't hold up. It doesn't match the scripture. And it's called the... A millennial view. Now, the premillennial view, and this is the third view, and this is the one that we hold to. This, uh, there's a rapture, and it's having your tribulation, and Jesus Christ returns and sets up a kingdom and rule for a thousand years. Now, let me draw it up for you very quickly because we've seen it. We already know it. You could draw it yourself. You could come up here and draw it. What happened? Jesus, what? Died and rose again, followed by the what? The church. What happens at the end of the church? Rapture. What happens after that? Tribute, Seven-year tribulation. What happens after that? Jesus comes and sets up a kingdom. Then there's the great white throne judgment. So we hold to what we call a premillennial view, which means Jesus comes before the kingdom. Postmillennial view, he comes after the kingdom, which is not really a kingdom. And the amillennial view is there never really is a kingdom. Our view is that Jesus rules for a thousand years. Let me ask you a question. Why do we believe that Jesus will actually come to the earth, rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Why do we believe that is true? Okay, we know the Bible says it, but what was the promise to King David? That his son would sit on the throne of Israel. If Jesus doesn't come to the earth and sit on the throne of Israel, then what happens? The promise isn't true. Is every prophecy either true or false? They're either going to have to be fulfilled or not fulfilled. Was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Okay, I mean, was he born of a virgin? I mean, is he, is he going to rule? Is he a descendant of King David? Is he going to sit on the throne of Jerusalem? Is he going to rule for a thousand years? Either yes or no. If we say the Bible is accurate and true, then all of those are yes. We say there is the church, there is the rapture, there is the tribulation, there is the thousand years, there is the second coming, there is the first coming, and we hold to those as literally true. So that when we start talking about millennium, we believe that we are pre-millennial. So let's get that. 
Uh, millennial means no kingdom. Post-millennial means he comes after some kind of kingdom. But pre-millennial means Jesus comes and sets up a kingdom and rules for thousand years. Okay, so you see the differences, right? Okay, you remember, if you hold to a little interpretation and that Israel and the church are separate, you're going to have this view. If you hold to a spiritualization and Israel and the church is the same, you're going to have the other view. Okay? Jesus takes the throne. If he takes the throne, there's got to be a kingdom. And so pre a prophecy of a never-ending kingdom. Second, this is, by the way, let me show you something. Uh, we don't have the time tonight. Write these verses down. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. Just write them down. That is the promise to David that his son would take the throne of Israel. Okay, now write that down because I want to show you something. I got one other thing to show you. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. God is promised. God promises to David his son will take the throne. Now write this down. Luke 1 Basically, 31 through 33, that's the promise to Mary that the child that is born to her will take the throne of his father, David. That's the fulfillment of the promise right there when Jesus comes. And he's going to set up a kingdom and rule forever. Okay, let's, let me let you get those two things down. Any questions right now about the, the millennial kingdom? What does the Amiel view say? No, really, no kingdom. What does the post-millennial view say? World gets better, and then the king comes. What is the pre-millennial view? Jesus comes, sets up a kingdom, and rules for a thousand years. Okay, do y'all understand why some people hold different views, right? You got it? Now, they're wrong. I'm, I'm just going to tell you. If you don't take the Bible literally, and if you say, well, it says a thousand years, but it doesn't mean that, and if it talks about an antichrist, and if it talks about a rapture, and it talks about all that, and you say, I don't believe that, what are you saying? You're saying you don't believe the Scripture. That's what it boils down to. And either people believe the Scripture, or they spiritualize it. Either people believe Israel is Israel, and the church is church, or they spiritualize and say they're the same thing. So you just got to remember, we hold to a literal interpretation and we say that Israel and the church are different. And when you do that, you're going to come up with this view right here. If you don't do that, you come up with the other view. So I just want you to know that. Okay, with that in mind, let's talk. I say those who interpret the Bible literally and separate Israel and the church will hold to this view. That's us. That's us. Jewish believer, almost every Jewish Christian Anytime you talk to a person who's Jewish, who becomes what they call a Messianic Jew, which means they've trusted in Jesus, every one of them hold to this view right here because they take the Bible literally. Every one of them. We've got magazines in, the, in our church library called Israel My Glory. There's, it's all basically Christian Jewish people. And Jews for Jesus, all of those Jewish organizations who are made up of Jewish people who have trusted in Christ, they all hold to a premillennial dispensational view. They all hold to this view. Because they take the Bible literally. From that, we're going to talk about the tribulation. Now, let me draw this up a little bit differently. In the Amiel view, where's the tribulation? What? Not one. In the post-mill view, where's the tribulation? No. So only people that have a tribulation are who? Us. Yeah. Now, there's different views on the tribulation. Let me draw this up for you. And I'm going to make it big so that we can do some things. This is the church. It's not the right one. This is the church. 
This is, we're going to make the tribulation big, okay? Seven-year tribulation. And then the thousand-year reign of Christ. There are three views of the tribulation. There, I've got like three or four views in your little thing there. I just want to hit on three. There are some that say that they are post-trib. What do you think that means? That the church is going to go through the tribulation and then at the end. There are those who are called mid-trib. What do you think that means? They think the church is going to go through about halfway through and then they're taken out. And then there is the pre-trib. And what does that mean? The church is taken out before the tribulation. What are we? We're pre-trib. We're going to talk about it. And I'm going to have to go, oh, I'm going to have to go faster. Uh, but anyway, I want you to see this. Let's look. Let me give you, first of all, the three views. The pre-trib view, the post-trib view, and the mid-trib view. Okay, that's, that's, and I just mentioned them. But you can write that down if you want to. The first one is pre-trib, the rapture before tribulation. Post-trib, rapture at the end of the tribulation. Mid-trib starts about halfway through. Okay, I'm going to give you time to write that down for a second. And then we're going to go fairly quickly through this. And because uh, I've got one thing that you just got to see tonight. Is it making sense so far? Everybody got it? Is it too complicated? Is it where you can understand it? Everybody got it? Let me know. Let me know. Okay? Got it. Okay. Now, let's start. Everybody got this written down pretty much? Not yet? Okay. Okay, and I'm going to go fast through uh, a couple of these just because they don't, they don't match Scripture. The first one that I want you to think about is the mid-trib view, and that is the view that about halfway through the tribulation, the church then is raptured out. Rapture occurs at the midpoint. Most hold to the view that, remember, what happens at the midpoint of the tribulation? Anybody remember? The Antichrist at the three-and-a-half-year mark puts his idol up in the temple, right? And it gets really bad. They view, a lot of people view the fact, and they say the church is going to go through the first half, and then they'll be taken out. And they just hold to that. Huh? What? It did? Oh, I don't know. Where are we? Let's pose. Oh, it must have gone the other way. Wait a minute. Yeah, it went the wrong way. Okay, there we go. Here we go. We'll get it. We'll get it. There we are. Isn't that where we are? No, we're not. Wait a minute. Where are we? What's happened to this thing? Okay, keep going. Oh, here we go. Okay, here we are. That's the three views. Now we're doing this view, mid-trib. Okay. That some people interpret the verse where it talks about a trumpet blows, and they think it means it blows in the middle of the tribulation and they're taken out. That we don't follow that, of course. Some people think the two witnesses that get killed at the three-and-a-half-year mark, and then they ascend into heaven, some people believe that's the church being taken out. The, the problem with that is, is none of that matches. And you don't, listen, I'm, I'm not expecting you to write all this down. I don't want you to know every little word. I just want you to know what the views are and that some people hold to the fact that the church is going to go through halfway the tribulation. We're going to see in a minute. I'm, I'm going to raise you a question. Why would the church go through the tribulation? Who is the tribulation for? Huh? No, it's not for the unbelievers. 
is for the nation of Israel. It's their final seven years. Now, it is unbelievers there. And, and unbelievers have an opportunity during the tribulation to believe in Jesus Christ. But the tribulation is actually dealing with the nation of Israel. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Okay, now, uh, problem. All, here, here's the problem. If some believers are taken up here, and some believers are taken up here, and some believers are taken up here, you got people going into the kingdom, and they all have glorified bodies. Okay? And we're going to see what's the problem with that. What's the problem with all believers going into the kingdom with glorified bodies? Because that's what they say. We'll talk about it in a minute. Okay? We'll talk about it in a minute. The... Rapture. Now, here's what I want. I want to spend some time on. The key to this whole thing goes down to the rapture. When does the rapture happen? Is it? Does it connect with the second coming? Does it connect in that way? So let's talk about the rapture for just a second. I want you, if you have your Bibles, turn to First Thessalonians four. Just flip over there. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. This is the best passage, one of the best passages in the Bible that shows the rapture. And then I'm going to talk about why we believe in a pre-trib rapture rather than a mid-trib or a post-trib rapture. Because the, if you notice, the post-trib rapture is church goes all the way through and then there's a rapture and the rapture and the second coming are what? That what? Same thing. That's a great point. Just remember this. The rapture and the second coming are the same thing in the post-trib view and even this view because what's going to happen is they're all gone and that's how, you know, that there's only believers in glorified bodies going into the kingdom. Okay? And we'll talk about why there's, why there's a problem there. Okay? Let's look at the rapture for just a second. In 1 Thessalonians, Christ comes in the clouds, not to the earth. In this view, what happens? They go up and what? Come right back down. So in, the ra- in their view, the rapture and the second coming are the same thing. But in the rapture, the return of Christ, he comes in the clouds, not to the earth. Notice that the resurrection of the believers, listen to this, the beginning at verse Basically, 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And what happens? The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him. This is the resurrection of believers. We're caught up in the clouds to be with him. The reunion with our loved ones. You don't have to write every one of these words down. And we can comfort one another with these words. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. That is the rapture. That is different than the second coming. And this is what I think is the key that makes the whole thing fit. Do we hold to a... Pre-trib rapture or a post-trib rapture? Because mid-trib, hardly anybody holds to that. And it's just a few people that try to think that halfway through we're gone. So either we go before or at the end. If we go at four, what happens? Who's taken off the face of the earth? Okay, now I want to show you something. Who's left on the earth? Unbelievers. We know that 144,000 Jews believe in Jesus and they begin to spread the message of Jesus Christ. Then it gets real bad right there. Then many, many believers are killed 
But at the second coming of Christ, church is coming down. What kind of bodies do we have in the church when we come back with Jesus? Glorified bodies. Okay. What kind of bodies do all the people who get killed in the tribulation and the Old Testament saints have when they all come back? Glorified bodies. Okay. The believers who are in the tribulation, who become believers during the tribulation, when they make it to the end and they're not killed, what kind of bodies do they have? Hmm? What? Regular bodies. Now, I want you to see that there's an important reason for this. If there is a post-trib rapture, everybody's got what kind of body going into the kingdom? If there is a pre-trib rapture and these believers make it through, then, then mo many people have a glorified body, but a bunch of people also have a what? Regular bodies. Why is that so important? I'm going to give it to you tonight. We're going to see it more next week. He rules for a thousand years. Is that right? What happens at the end of a thousand years? Satan is released and there's a rebellion. Who is in rebellion? People on the face of the earth, right? Unbelievers. Okay, now, if everybody went into the kingdom with glorified bodies, how do you have any unbelievers? Can't have any. If you have this rapture and believers go into the kingdom and they produce offspring and they have unbelievers there, that's how you have the unbelievers. If you have a post-tribulation rapture, you cannot have any unbelievers in the kingdom. And at the end of the kingdom, there is rebellion from the unbelievers. If you have this view, you can't have any unbelievers. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Okay, that, that's big. So let me, let me show you something. I'm going to go real fast, and then we're gonna, we'll go back and hit on this next week. Yeah, question. Yeah, well, Jesus said, when they, they asked him, remember that, they made up that silly joke about the, the, the seven brothers who had seven, one, one brother married all the wives, they said, who's going to be in there? And he said, well, in the kingdom, they won't, they won't procreate, They'll be, they, they, they won't do that. Glorified bodies don't make other babies, right? Like, and he said, they're even like the angels, because angels don't procreate. Okay, so that, that helps a little bit. Okay, now I got something to show you, and we'll go fast, and then we'll make this up next week as well. Why? Here, let me give you some reasons for the pre-tribulation. There is a distinction in the scripture between the rapture and the second coming. In this view, is there a distinction between the rapture and the second coming? No, it's the same thing. Now, I've got a handout for you at the very end that shows rapture and second coming. You don't have to turn there now, but there's a handout at the end of the lesson four, uh, 25 that shows the contrast between the rapture and the second coming. They are not the same thing. In this view, they are the same thing. In this view, they are not the same thing. Does that make sense? Okay. Second, Scripture supports the church will not be in the tribulation. I'm going to give you these verses. And you, I'm going to give them to you, and you just write them down. Just write them down real fast. Those verses tell us that the church, the body of Christ, will not be in the tribulation. Those are big verses. I'm going to give you time to write that down because they're so important. 
This Revelation 3.10 says he'll deliver us from the wrath to come. Romans 5.9, Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation, no wrath there. 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18, we're delivered out. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.1-11, we're delivered from the wrath to come. What is the wrath to come? It's tribulation, exactly. Well, he picks the 144,000, but you're right. The, the most amazing of it, you know, everybody's talking about what's going to reset everything. What's, the world's going to reset, and we've got to get all that. You know what's going to happen? We're all going to disappear off the face of the earth. There's going to be millions of people disappear off the face of the earth because we have trusted in Christ as Savior. He's going to come in the clouds, and we will be raptured off, and the world will be in such turmoil, such catastrophe. Think about the people who, I mean, plane crashes, car wrecks, people, that, people are going to be looking all over for people. They're going to, there are going to be some people who will say, wow, maybe this Christianity thing is true, and they will believe. There will be other people who will actually say they were so evil that God destroyed them all off the face of the earth. That's why they're all gone. And you're going to find that the world will be in turmoil, and there will be a formation of a ten-king federation trying to put the world in order. There will be three kings come out of that, and there will be one king come out of that. The world is going to have a global economy, a global religion and a global country and it's going to all be based on one man that's going to come to power called the Antichrist and when he comes to power he makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel and that could be a, a year it could be longer or less after the rapture he makes this peace pact and that starts the seven years and when that seven years starts God basically pulls out 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes, 144,000 Jews who become believers in Jesus Christ and begin to tell the world. And then there's going to be the, trib- the Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple. So you're exactly right. When we are gone, this event right here is going to trigger the most catastrophe. If you think this, this pandemic was a catastrophe and it shut down everything, if you think this was a catastrophe, it's not going to be anything compared to the fact when we're all gone off the face of the earth and these people, the, all the rest of these people have, first of all, where is moral values once we're all gone? We don't even have, there's not moral values here now and you take all the believing believers off the face of the earth, what's going to happen to this world Listen, we don't want to be here. You know, I had a friend that used to say, well, whatever you believed, you went through. If you thought you're going to go through the tribulation, you will. Well, I mean, that's not true, of course. But the bottom line is, this is us. And, and Scripture says we're not going to be in this thing. Let me give you some more real quickly just because of time. The rapture, let me ask you something. If we got to go through this, can we say Jesus could come at any second? Does the Bible say that Jesus could come at any second? Yes. Okay, if, if, if this is true, can Jesus come at any second? What's, he got, what's got to happen? We've got to go through the tribulation. See, so it doesn't match. The fourth one is the pre- repopulation of the kingdom. I mentioned that a while ago. If, this, if these are the same, there are no people in unglorified bodies. There's no people in regular bodies to produce offspring during the kingdom. There's nobody. It can't possibly work then. I watched, y'all know who Charles Ryrie is. Brian, you got a question, comment, input? What verse shows that unbelievers don't go into the kingdom? What now? 
when Jesus comes in Matthew 24, 25, and he has what we call the separation of the sheep from the goats, he comes to the earth in Matthew 25, and he separates the sheep from the goat, the sheep of the believers. They're believers who make it through the kingdom. They're unbelievers. They're, all put to the, they're the goats, and they're all put together. Death, so they don't make it into it. So it's Matthew 25, where the, the goats do not go into the kingdom. Charles Ryrie, most of you heard of Ryrie, Ryrie Study Bible. I watched Charles Ryrie do a chapel at Dallas Seminary my first year, and he took guys up on the stage, and he took them through this thing right here, and he said, okay, let's pretend that the rapture and the second coming is the same thing. And they all, everybody kind of and then he said, okay, and he showed it glorified bodies, and he said, okay, tell me how we're going to have any kids in the kingdom. And everybody just went, you can't have them. That's right. That's why. That's why a post-millennial view is not right. That's why all, any of those other views are wrong. They don't match. And you've got to be able to have people going into the kingdom in regular bodies to produce offspring during the thousand years. Oh, that, exactly. Listen, the, the, that one to me is the key. We all say that Jesus could come when. But, but if, he, if we got to go through the tribulation, then we can't say that. We'd have to say, well, he's going to come, you know, after, once that tribulation starts, we know he's going to come in about seven years. <laughs> For us, yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus talked about that he, the way he talks about it, he comes like a thief in the night. He comes at any second. First Corinthians talks about he'll come in a moment, a twinkle of an eye, and we'll all be changed. It says in First Thessalonians, he'll come and all of a sudden we'll be taken off the face of the earth. So it can happen at any second. And even when you look at the book of Revelation, when Jesus talks about it, he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to come quickly. And that doesn't mean they're going to come soon. It means when I come, I come fast. And, you know, it's just going to be like a bullet. Yeah, he, Jesus actually said nobody knows exactly when he's coming back that way. But in his, in his deity, I, I think Jesus knows. <laughs> but in his humanity, he said nobody knows. Okay, and then the last view is uh, the glorified body is not reproduced. Where do we get, where do the unbelievers come at the end of the millennium? Where, you know? And then this last one is what we call Jacob's trouble. We're going to spend some time next week showing why the tribulation is seven years and why the tribulation is for the nation of Israel and not the church. Does that make sense? I know we had a lot tonight. I'm sorry. It's too much, really. I think, I think it's too much. Did anybody get this? Israel is not the church. Jacob's trouble is Israel's trouble. Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, The tribulation is called Jacob's trouble. What's Jacob's other name? Israel. It's Israel's trouble. It is not the church. It is not the body of Christ. So we'll get more details on this next week. But the key thing I wanted you to see as far as the rapture and the pre-trib and the post-trib rapture is this. That in the post-trib rapture, if you hold to this, you're going to have the church going through the tribulation, which means the rapture is not imminent. And you're not going to be able to populate the kingdom. So the only view that works is this one. All right, uh, so how people interpret Scripture and view Israel and the church determines their views of end time. This is the verse that I want you to memorize for next week. It is blessed and holy is the one who has the part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death, there is no, no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign for how long? For a thousand years. Now, he says it six or seven times. i just give you that one verse to look at.